Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So Join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome, everyone, to Rockin' Nation Podcast. Uh, my name is Sam Snelling. We are here for a brand new episode of dive cuts with me as always is matthew j harris uh representing indy matt how are you i'm well uh, i'm plotting how we're gonna uh direct the mob of Masu fans to invade some poor ap voters twitter mentions next that's well yeah the 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 new guy is apparently another kansas grad um who works for like a atlanta television station i guess yeah um which I've I find leave it to those KU grads to never stop uh, sending Mizzou shade even with their AP votes. I don't know. I think they're out. Like I actually I actually legitimately think like uh, like Jesse like I don't have a problem with his methodology. He sticks to it. And I I appreciate that even even if it <laughs> it hurts some Mizzou fans' feelings. I like to try to you know take the effort to prove him wrong a bit. But I mean, most years I think that's fine. Like, I, like I don't think it's a bad. Like, I, I get the logic behind it. I've just watched enough AP voters that, like, out of sixty plus people, it's inevitable that somebody's gonna, you know, screw up or somebody's gonna have a poll that's gonna have weird stuff in it. Like, I, I don't necessarily think most. Like most journalists I know who voted in the poll wanted to do a good job. You could disagree with their their method, but it's 
it's 60 people with different criteria, so you're going to get some wonky outcomes some of the time. But I think most engage in it in good faith. And, yeah. I mean... I, yeah, like, I, I realistically don't think that, like... <clears throat> uh, like, Jesse Newell was purposefully omitting Missouri. Um, I think I made the argument, essentially, that his usage of the data was a little bit misapplied um you know but like i didn't really hold that against him the other one seems a little bit suspect though um i just don't know how after what missouri has done this year how you could leave them completely off the ballot i think a case could be made uh for them to be in you know like 20 to 25 like i think you can realistically make that case uh but to leave them completely off the ballot at this point, you know, it's that, yeah. But when that's happened, when, when it, that's happened most of the time, it's just like it's just an honest God screw up. Like it, it really, like you think that can't happen, but it does. And like, I'm sure he'll correct it next week if Missouri wins this week. Like I don't anticipate that there's going to be a long running like effort to exclude. Missouri from the poll, and I, I don't know. I, I really don't worry about it that maybe much. Maybe it's from like watching guys do the poll every week. Like, I was offered the chance to do the poll once, and I was like, eh, I don't feel like doing it because it's really, really hard. And like, I follow, like, I was paid to write about college basketball and follow it, but it, it's kind of a hassle. And I don't know if like the poll is the like I get it, it drives conversation. I get its utility in some ways to market the sport, but it's not 1937 anymore. You can watch every game now. You can, or you can see most results. We've got gobs of analytics, almost too many analytics now, by which to like measure and compare and analyze teams. Like I'm not sure that 60 people across the country voting in a poll is the most productive way of like ordering teams so i i don't know i tend to focus more on the net rankings because that's what the committee's going to use and you know use kimpom and synergy and that's pretty much how i have a yardstick for what quality teams are but the poll and where teams wind up in them it, it really has no bearing by the time march comes around but hey, it drives conversation. It's driving our conversation right now, so it's doing its job. Well, so uh, changing attention a little bit, I, I'm uh, you know back after a week off. Um, <clears throat> I want to say thanks to Josh for recording with you last week. Um, thought you guys did a good job. I appreciate you stepping in. Um, anyone that, that follows me on Twitter knows this point that, uh, having a little bit of a health issue with the old doggo. Um, so that is still ongoing. Um, we are more at a, a point of, uh, I guess, you know, trying to get certain things under control, certain numbers. So anybody that is super interested and wants to, uh, Google, uh, diseases that dogs get uh, you can start with 
leptospirosis, which is what uh, we think kind of caused a lot of this uh, for, for Arturo. <laughs> um, Giardia is another one. Um, Matt's familiar with Giardia. It's a fun thing for your dog to get. Um, yeah, so Giardia on top of leptospirosis is pretty awesome. Um, but also we're kind of thinking that this is all on top of an underlying autoimmune uh, disease that we're, we're still trying to kind of figure out. So it's been about uh, two weeks, two and a half weeks, um, something like that, since we've kind of been dealing with this. Uh, Arturo's really kind of been up and down. Um, this weekend was honestly pretty brutal. Uh, I think Friday night they put him on a blood pressure medicine that we think kind of almost gave him like an altitude sickness because um, that's kind of how he was acting. But, yeah. It was kind of crazy. Um, so I'm not operating on a uh, sufficient amount of rest at this point. Um, but I felt good enough that thought it was time to return to the mic and, and do a pod. And plus, I really kind of wanted to talk about um, more good things that are happening in the peripheral. Uh, and that includes Missouri basketball. Um, Matt, do you have any any health related uh, questions or uh, for for canines that you want me to answer before we move on? Uh, no, no. Um, I, I have a vet for that uh, that I can call here, and I pay them probably too much money. So uh, if I, if I want to engage in that conversation, uh, I'll call downtown veterinarian in uh, Indianapolis, and they'll probably be glad to talk to me um, about. Well, yeah, the, the latest. The latest fun development is that uh, he currently can't see um, because his blood pressure is too high. Um, so people that are familiar with like blood pressure issues, you might know that humans can like lose sight if their blood pressure gets too high. It, it tends to be temporary. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a new fun thing. So every time he goes outside, you have to go outside with him and, you know, walk him around the yard and <laughs> make sure he's not running into walls. Um, no, no. So we're, we're, yeah, we're, he's on blood pressure medicine and we're hoping that that kind of gets, uh, gets the sight back. Um, he's eaten somewhat regularly now for three days in a row. So we're, we're, we're hoping that we can kind of get this under control, but it, it's, it's still dicey. And with um, all that, you still got study hall done this weekend. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I so I watched <laughs> the entire first half. People may have noticed that um, there were no tweets from Rocket Nation until about halftime. Um, I watched the first half on the floor um, with Arturo, who had decided that he he didn't like the bed that he was in, and he moved to a different bed. So I was just sitting next to him on the floor watching the game, and uh, what a what a terrific! So this is like two games in a row where Missouri's just kind of come out of the gates and and looked like just a phenomenal basketball team, just you know, gritting their teeth, just fire in their eyes. Like there was a determination uh, against. Um, against both South Carolina in the early going and against Tennessee on Saturday. So, and both games kind of went the same way. Like, 
like South Carolina sort of rebounded after a bit, but could never quite get over the hump. And then really the same thing happened with Tennessee. Like they, and Tennessee is, I think it's also fair to say that, uh, I mean, credit to Missouri. I think they, they took Tennessee out of a lot of stuff that they wanted to do. You give them credit for that. Uh, they were really physical with John Fulkerson, which I thought impacted his ability to kind of get going early. Um, and, and that led to a lot of, live ball turnovers that led to um, a bit of a lopsided score early on and then they, they were able to just sort of hold the volunteers at arm's length you know through uh, really through the you know the play of Xavier Pinson who was really phenomenal um, this is we, and we've seen X kind of go off Matt I think it's it's clear that we know that like X when he's going good is as good as any guard in the league when when he's playing his game uh when he's making jump shots and he's he's making smart reads and stuff like that and finishing around the rim um i think that was as good of if not you know the best offensive game um that he's played i think there was what he he did turn out turn the ball over five times um and i think <laughs> at least two of those were like where he's just got so much confidence that he was, I, th- I think of like the the dump off that was like behind his head, uh, to to Mitchell Smith, which I mean, a nearly impossible pa- pass to throw, but also more impossible to catch, um, you know, particularly for uh, a post, um, and so yeah, it it didn't go well, but overall I thought X was phenomenal, um. And it was it was nice, especially for Conzo Martin, who, you know, I think I even said something about in study hall about how he was kind of run out of Knoxville. Um, it, it was really kind of fun uh, to to sort of see the, uh, the I guess the post game tweet from Mizzou hoops about him yelling in the in the the hallways after the game. It was it, it was just a nice sort of like cathartic moment. Yeah, I think. One, I think they they had a good game plan in mind. I think they understood that without um, Jaden Springer there, Santiago Vescovi was going to be a primary ball handler there. Um, so they were physical with, no, with... And Matt, if you read if you read the Tennessee preview, um, I believe we made note of the concerns about uh, Vescovi and his ball security. Yeah, we did. Um, that that's <laughs> uh, that's a long-standing issue. Um, I think I looked at it. Their first, you know, without Jaden Springer, their turnover percentages jumped by like 10 percentage points. It's almost doubled. So, or more than doubled. So, I mean, credit to Missouri. I mean, they, they were physical with Fulkerson. Um, you know, I think Vescovi's even banged up with like a hit pointer thing, so he wasn't at full strength, and Missouri was a little more physical on the ball. Early on than they usually are, especially in some ball screen situations, um, and they got live ball turnovers and they capitalized on them. But I mean, that's it. Feels like if you, I bet if you looked at the entire, if you merge the stats from both these games, I'm pretty sure both teams, like the the deciding factor is going to be turnovers and, and ball security. In the first game, Missouri was not very good with with the rock, and in this one, Tennessee was not. Uh, you know, managing to, to keep a firm uh, grip on the ball. And 
it, it staked him to an early lead. Uh, second half, they got a couple timely runs to hold Tennessee off, and it's a it's a fifth quad one win. Um, you know, you don't apologize, and you know, for Tennessee not being at full strength, that's just how it goes. Injury luck is a factor, but um, I, I thought it was impressive how resilient they were. Like, I think we're, everyone's going to look at the early, early, you know, first 10 minutes of the game and see how they bolted out of the stretch. I was more impressed in the second half because Tennessee changed up its ball screen coverage at halftime. Like, X, you know, had an okay second half, but I think they put Jordan, side Jordan James on him more and instead of trying to, you know, apply more pressure or hard hedge, they just made sure that they had Eve Pons dropping back you know, trying to contain him, and they had a little bit more length on the ball and a little bit more athleticism on the ball. But it was guys like Kobe Brown and Javon Pickett who helped carry them through. You know, Tennessee cuts the lead to eight, and it's, you know, Pickett and Brown guys that, you know, you wouldn't normally associate with, you know, making key plays offensively, you know, who, you know, push the lead back out to 12 or 13 points. And Tennessee cut it down again around the six-minute mark and again, Missouri kind of managed to get a little 6-0 spurt and hold them off. And I think that's sort of, you know, you mentioned a couple weeks ago, um, coming into the season, you know, the question, one of the questions of many that we had was, you know, does this team have the mental makeup to close games like this? Can you go on the road and, you know, not only start fast, but you know Tennessee's good enough that once they started to, you know, settle down, once they were able to, you know, string some possessions together, you know, I think we, you and I both noted in, in the box score afterwards, you know, if you looked up and down this, this is a game that, you know, if not for turnovers, is a one possession basketball game. Like Tennessee, when it managed to, you know, value the ball and, you know, put possessions together was playing well enough offensively in this game. This was not Missouri's, you know, best game defensively from a points per possession perspective. But, you know, Missouri executed well enough early. They were able to create some transition opportunities that took some pressure off their offense and sapped Tennessee of critical possessions that they would ultimately need. This was still a low possession game. You know, I think we wound up at like 64 or 66 possessions despite the early transition opportunities. And in the second half, Missouri got enough out of the half court and were able to still generate enough, you know, plays on the run to, to get out of Knoxville with a win. And, you know, we, we talked about, you know, have we seen this team's a game? And I think I told Josh last week, I still think Oregon's probably the closest we've come to seeing them at their apex, but, you know, they go on the road, they do what they need to do. They get a win. And, you know, at the end of the day, style points don't matter. They, you know, they got the result they needed. And, you know, last week was was kind of a game, was what you wanted to see from a program that had had a little bit of a forced layoff, that had not looked real efficient or, and I want to say all that consistent, for a couple of games or four or five games in a row. And in the last two games, it seems like they've kind of steadied the ship a little bit. So, Good result, but I think the longer-term issue is I think you, you've seen some resilience from this group, and, and that's a and that's a trait that you're going to need as we come down the stretch. And I think it's it's important to kind of note, like yes, the um, 
the, the shooting was a, a big key, you know, for Missouri. Uh, you know, they ended up winning by nine. Um, you know, I think, what were they, like nine of 22? Um, let me pull it up real quick. Uh, sorry, eight of 19 from three for 42%. Um, I was kind of looking back through and... I think there was one other game, and I think it, it was probably Oregon, where they hit 40% from three. Um, and this is just a team that has really struggled all year long to make threes. And if if uh, if Mark Smith isn't hitting shots, or, or maybe, no, I think it was actually Oral Roberts um, where they hit 40%. Um, but if Mark Smith isn't, isn't hitting threes at a good clip, you know, then Missouri has really struggled. Uh, and we've seen... You know, Pinson, we've seen Drew Smith, you know, show the ability to to knock down shots. I think the bigger thing that I like, I, I'm not a believer that Missouri needs to be a 40% shooting three point team to be successful. Very clearly, they've been successful this year without being that. Um, but if you can, instead of being a 28 or 29 three point shooting team, just be like a 33 or 34 percent three-point shooting team then I think what you do is you you're you really open up your ability to uh, have a little bit more leeway in the half court um, you know and and have I guess that buffer um, you know of, of just occasionally being able to count on when somebody's taking that three-point shot um, you know that that it if it goes in like that that can kind of energize the team and I just feel like they've been They've been scuffling for so long from from deep that uh, it, it you know maybe this is something and again like I don't expect them to come out and shoot forty two percent for the for the rest of the year but if they can just shoot better um, I think what it does is it it turns them into a team which I think uh, you know we, we're still maybe slightly skeptical that they're gonna end up in kind of like that four seed line or three seed line wherever they're projected right now maybe more like a six, seven. Um, but if, if you're able to just shoot a slightly better three point percentage, uh, I think this does, you know, become a team that you can see reasonably see in that, that sort of three to five seed range. Yeah. Uh, I think the goal is to get to 30%. Like I'm, I'm just not optimistic that they're a team that, given the amount of time, the number of games that's left and the number of shots they have to make to get 33%. If they can get to... I, no, I don't, I, I don't mean, if you, uh, like, yeah, if you don't mean the total amount of, you know, by the end of the year. I think if they can shoot 32%. So, some, like, from here on out. Yeah, then that's better. I mean, that'll buy them an extra three or four points per game, which is going to ease the pressure that they feel having to, you know, either point that they lose through turnovers or you know if they face teams that are legitimately able to kind of protect the pain and protect the rim but it'll be interesting to see what the expectation levels are now because it seems like things have yo-yoed i mean we it feels like we're ramping back up again you know where you know mizzou fans are salty because they're not in the top 10 with five quad one wins and you know, this is probably a good time to pivot, you know, and I, and I look at this Auburn game on Tuesday and I think that's, 
you know, let's <laughs> let's not get too vocal here, um, because Sharif Cooper's taking a blowtorch to people recently, and and Auburn is with him in the lineup is a substantially different. They're of a different order of magnitude. I don't think they're an SEC, you know, contender, but that they go from a team that you know is an zero and four squad that's kind of wandering the wilderness to one that you know would be hoping that man we should not have taken the voluntary postseason ban because we could be a bubble team with Cooper in the lineup. It that that road trip gets substantially dicier when it's when you have a, a five star doing what uh, Cooper's been doing over the past four or five games for them. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm, this is probably, even when we were in the preseason, this game was probably, honestly, the most intriguing one for me on the schedule. So I'm, I'm, I've been sort of anxiously looking forward to this one because I literally have no clue how this one could go. I can see any scenario under the sun here. Um, but it, you can see a, a blowout on both sides. You can see a close game on both sides. Uh, I, I, I could see this game going in a kind of a similar way, uh, like you know Missouri did to like Texas A&M, where it was a little close for a while, and then they just sort of put the stranglehold on them. I could see Auburn just kind of going nuts from three-point range. Um, like I know, like everybody is in rightfully so you know concerned about Sharif Cooper he's been phenomenal he's played in five games uh, you know Auburn started 0-3 in league play then uh, Cooper came in and they nearly beat Alabama um, lost to Alabama on a, on a game where I really kind of thought Auburn had a chance to win until <laughs> Cooper I think this tried to do a little too much um, you know as he's a freshman playing his first game of the year against against your school's big rival uh, and he made like three or four decisions in the last two minutes that I was just like, "Woof, that's a that's a terrible shot. That's a bad pass." Um, and I think he single-handedly kind of cost them that game down the stretch. Uh, but then they they blasted Georgia. Uh, they beat Kentucky. Uh, they lost on the road uh, narrowly to Arkansas, and then they went on the road to South Carolina and just absolutely beat the Tar. Uh, out of the Gamecocks, so and South Carolina is like a team where I really thought they were a, a dark horse to me, a, a team you know who I, I really liked a lot of their guards. Um, AJ Lawson, I, I still think is a guy who uh, has NBA potential. Um, you know, not like an All Star or anything, but a guy who can who can play multiple years in the NBA. Um, and they just you know having to this is the weirdness of the year. I think is is they've just not really been able to kind of put it together. Um, but still, like, if you're at home, you shouldn't get boat raced um, the way that they got boat raced. You know, it's, final score is 109-86. to 86. Um, But where I was kind of starting with this is everyone is, is, and rightfully so, should be concerned about Sharif Cooper, who's ironically listed at six, six foot one on Kempom. Uh, that is... Yeah, he is not that tall. Um, the guy that I've been really impressed with this year is Alan Flanagan. Uh, I was sort of kind of going back and forth between him and Devin Cambridge as as like the guy who might be able to be the breakout wing uh, for Bruce Pearl's team this year. Uh, I think 
on the the preview, I kind of hemmed and hawed a little bit and said, oh, it could be one of these other guys. But I actually used Cambridge because he played slightly more minutes. But man, like Flanagan has just been terrific this year. He's got an offensive rating over like 110. I think it's one, uh, 111.6. He's shooting 39% from three, 80% from the line. Uh, great shooting numbers. He's a high-level athlete. And... I'm I'm really really interested to see what Missouri's defensive game plan is going to be because I don't think like I I don't necessarily think that you um go overboard and and try to change up a bunch of things that you do that you do well uh but Auburn is a, is a team who I still think that there are a lot of flaws and I still think that they don't particularly love defending. Um, so it is one of those things where Missouri should be able to generate plenty of points. Uh, but the big thing for me is, is, is are they going to be able to um, convince like these Auburn players who play with just supreme confidence into taking more bad shots than they've been taking in the, in the last few games. Uh, so it'll, it'll be interesting. And I, I don't know that I'm like supremely confident that Missouri will win, but I, I do think that the way that Missouri defends uh, will present a little bit of a conundrum for you know more than just Sharif Cooper and and Alan Flanagan, just just to see kind of how they, they match up. I think when I've when I've watched them, it, aside from Cooper's immense skill, what he does is that he just he pushes guys into the right spots in the lineup. I mean, Justin Powell was doing all he could to sort of operate as their point guard. He had a 31% assist rate, but against a 22, 23% turnover rate. Um, he was drawing four and a half fouls for 40 minutes, like not bad. And, but Powell's more of an off guard and he can shoot the ball really well. So if you, you know, if Powell's healthy, you know, and you can push him into kind of a secondary creator role, and he's still a guy who can knock down 40 plus percent of his shots. And now you've got Flanagan out there. Now you've got legit floor spacers who are able to play off of, you know, you know, Thor and, and Cooper, you know, if they want to get into ball screen situations and all those guys can get out and run the floor. So I think what they've been able to do is just reorient their lineups in a way that make a little bit more sense. Not that, you know, it didn't before, but now guys are kind of clicked into the appropriate role. You know, this is a team now that over the last five games is playing at like a top 40 or 50 level in terms of offensive efficiency. Yeah, they're still a little bit porous defensively, but they're also really, really young. Um, so, you know, when I went back and, you know, was researching them, you know, if, just in terms of efficiency, they're really similar to... Bruce's group that went 18-14 and 7-11 back in 2017. Like, yeah, they've got some some issues and they've got some flaws and they're going to have to sort through mistakes, but they're, they're still potent enough. They've still got enough talent on this roster that fits what Bruce wants to do to put you, you know, to put you in a barrel. And I, I think that's the risk that they're going to run. No, that's the risk that exists tomorrow night. 
I'm not. I, I want to be very clear. I'm not like in. I'm not concerned. I'm just. I'm intrigued by what we're going to see because, like, in terms of Hackward offense, this Auburn team is pretty close to what it was a year ago. It's not as good in transition, but you know they've got a guy now who kind of fits their mold. So, I, again, I'm not saying that. I, I think Missouri's. You know, you should be you know chewing off your nails here. I just think it's an intriguing matchup where it's got some potential to be like a really fun game. Um, I'm sure, like as a like neutral college basketball observer it would be like a really fun matchup that a lot of people to, you know, want to tune in for. Uh, you know, I think there's some excitement around, um, you know, the, like the potential of a point guard matchup and all kind of stuff. Uh, but it's like I said, like I'm really, really interested to see what Missouri does defensively. You know, one of the things that, uh, you know, we know is, is like the Tigers tend to kind of come into these games, like pretty well prepared. Um, Sometimes they don't get out of the gates great, you know, but the, the, the plan overall is, is, is typically, you know, pretty solid. And I'm kind of curious to sort of see what it is that they do, like within like the first three, four minutes of play, um, just to try to get into like the mind and, and the, and the play of, of, of Cooper and, and Flanagan, two guys that I really think make that offense, uh, make that offense go. Uh, there isn't a whole lot outside of those two guys that that scare me. I think you know Jamal Johnson's a guy who's capable of making a three here and there. Uh, Jalen Williams, I think, is a guy that is capable of scoring, but he's certainly a, you know he's not the most athletic guy. I think he's he's a fairly easy guy to match up with. You just got to make him take tough shots. Um, JT Thor is is just like a freak of an athlete, um, you know. But a, a lot of these guys are young and. And I think this is a game where you you kind of hope that Missouri comes out with a good game plan. They're able to sort of wrestle a lead early. Uh, they're able to frustrate some of Auburn's younger guys uh, earlier. And you're able to just sort of prevent big runs. And I think like those three things right there will get you, a, I don't want to say an easy win, but a win where you're not swaying it out in like the last two or three minutes. And you can't quantify this in the numbers, but the fact that Auburn Arena won't be packed to the rafters and won't be a, a loud band box is can't be understated. Because I, I think, at least in the past couple trips, once Auburn hit its first big run, it was just a landslide crashing down on this team. Missouri wasn't, didn't have a third ball handler like it does now, Drew Bugs. It didn't have the experience that it does now. And once Auburn got the pace to where it wanted, it had good enough and it had enough veteran experience and enough quality guards to just eat MU alive. And there was no let up and the building would get loud and the momentum would start rolling. I don't think that's going to be the case this year. It's a little bit younger of an Auburn team. They won't have that crowd to feed off of. Um, like I said, they're not as potent in transition as they have been in the past. That's a good thing for Missouri. Um, so, and additionally, as somebody would also point out, Missouri's more willing to run this year. So I, I just think the preconditions are probably better for Missouri here. Um, 
but it's still going to be a really, really fascinating matchup to see. Definitely more intriguing than, than TCU coming to town on Saturday. <laughs> well, yeah, so uh, as of right now, um, Assuming this believe, thing still happens. Yeah, like uh, TCU is currently on, on a, a program pause. They are slated to play on Thursday. Um, and so this is the, the time of year where you get the Big 12 SEC Challenge. The Big 12 SEC Challenge uh, has several matchups that are mostly uninteresting. Um, I actually thought it was interesting because, like, I, I did the uh, I, I looked at the current standings and I said, "Well, Matt, what if what if we just waited? You know, everybody kind of knew whether you're going to play home and road, and then they just match teams up." Um, you know, like the week of. We've seen in uh, COVID that you can be way more flexible in your scheduling. Uh, so currently we have, uh, what, Alabama is playing Oklahoma. Um, Missouri is playing TCU. Uh, Florida gets West Virginia. LSU gets Texas Tech. Tennessee gets Kansas, uh, Kentucky, um, gets Texas. Did I say that right? Tennessee gets Kansas, Kentucky gets Texas, uh, Arkansas gets Oklahoma State, Auburn gets Baylor. Certainly better than the TCU matchup that Missouri gets handed right now. Just so, so yeah, so interesting that that Missouri uh, plays Auburn, and then Auburn has to go play, you know, Baylor. Um, anyone who isn't following the rest of college basketball, you know, there are two truly great teams in the uh, NCAA this year, and it's Baylor and Gonzaga. Um, those they were supposed to play. I think Baylor, what was it, had to go on pause, or um, yeah, and they had to. Cancel the game, couldn't reschedule it, which really, really sucked. That would have been an amazing game. Um, but so if you basically just reorganized, how much more interesting would a Baylor-Alabama matchup be right now? Uh, better than what's on the docket right now. Uh, or or Texas-Missouri. I mean... Who doesn't want to Would, hear the DeLos Dodds quote once again? So. <laughs> well, so, like, this is this is really, like, an example of why it would be nice if they could uh, find a way to be a little bit more flexible in the scheduling, just to, you know, really get some terrific matchups. Because um, I really find, overall, the entire slate to be sort of uninteresting. You know, part of that is, you know, Kentucky is down. Um, you know, Tennessee isn't playing great right now, but... Um, Florida doesn't you know, have Keontae Johnson available. Yeah, F- Florida doesn't have uh, Keontae Johnson. They've sort of been kind of up and down. LSU doesn't uh, believe in playing hard at one end of the floor. I mean, <laughs> so, uh, granted, I don't know uh, if matchups influence that or not. I mean, if that'll motivate LSU to play defense or not. But, um, yeah. I, like, you look at this TCU team and – like outside of RJ Nimbard being a 
you know, a good player on a bland roster, I don't know what there is to really get excited about. You know, we were talking about it before the pod, like, it's a, TCU's always been a tough job. Um, and, you know, Jamie Dixon, I think, had kind of gotten stale at Pitt, and, you know, he was certainly, you know, an upgrade over who TCU's had there in the past, but it, it's just such a tough job. And Jamie, you know, had kind of, I think, plateaued a bit and came in and, you know, had a good first two years. And the last four have just been a steady regression. I think they went from like 26th in Kimpom to the point where they're, you know, fighting to stay in the top 100 right now. Um, he's had one 500 finish in Fort Worth, and that was when they made the NCAA tournament and went out in the first round. He's only had two 500 finishes in the last six or seven years in conference play, whether it's the ACC or the Big 12. It's just, you know, TCU's a young team. They've got one good player. They're forecasted to finish 5-11 and 11 in, a, in the Big 12. Um, they don't have a ton of options. Like Mike Miles and Kevin Samuel are okay players, but, like, if you look at just TCU's roster and you just even do a cursory look at their profile, this is, you know, it, this is a game you should win if you're a top 15 or top 20 team at home. And there might be some stretches where TCU, pre, you know, apply some pressure, but it's not one that I think comes with a bunch of intrigue. And, you know, it's just, I would rather they just, you know, TCU backs out and they just try and get, LSU rescheduled, so or find or put Vandy in there. Vandy's not playing. Just find a way to reschedule one of the postponed SEC games on Saturday. <laughs> I, it's, so it's it is interesting, kind of looking at TCU's roster, like how many of these guys um, were on Mizzou's recruiting radar. Um, Jaden Lee, I think, was on there. Yeah, Jaden Lee, uh, PJ Fuller. Some people might remember he was the kid who was on that uh, that same high school team with with Michael and Chante Porter out of Seattle. Um, Eddie Lampkin was that. Uh, he's a a big post guy. He didn't. He doesn't really play much, but he was a guy that Missouri had offered and and looked like they were sort of pursuing there for a while, but I guess they kind of fell off. He's basically got the same kind of profile as uh, Jordan Wilmore, Jordan Wilmore. <laughs> big but body, five, but five uh, inches not shorter. super skilled. Yeah, um, and uh, and Charles O'Bannon Jr. actually listed here as Chuck O'Bannon, um, but for anybody who remembers the mid '90s UCLA teams coached by Jim Herrick, uh, the O'Bannon brothers, uh, Ed and 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 Charles. This is Charles Kid. I think I made a note in my piece today about uh, how some of these like names are starting to pop up of like guys that you remember watching, um, Larry Hughes Jr. and and uh, you know uh, Kellen Thames. Um, obviously, Larry Hughes Jr. is uh, Larry Hughes Jr. or Larry Hughes' uh, son. And uh, I was joking with you the other day because I think Kellen uh, is Kelly Thames' son, obviously. Uh, Kellen got an offer to to SLU, <laughs> and I was kind of laughing because we we both know that I mean Mizzou is recruiting um, Larry Hughes Jr. 
you know quite a bit they haven't extended an offer but he's certainly on the radar and i was kind of laughing like wouldn't it be funny if like larry hughes jr ended up at mizzou and uh and kellen thames ended up at slew just reversing yeah well he'd be there with Corey tate and just to complete the kind of trade-off that's happened there um, yeah like mid-90s mizzou being resurrected at uh at uh, the Chaffetz Arena, um, but I, anyway, like I just kind of thought that was interesting, as as there are like multiple guys that, um, yeah, like Missouri did offer Charles O'Bannon. Um, I want to say so he was he's a transfer. He originally went to USC out of the LA area, so he would have been what class of seventeen. So I, I think actually it was probably Kim Anderson and his staff that that offered him i don't i don't i think he would have been signed by the time uh Consul martin was hired but still a guy that mizzou offered a scholarship to and uh and chuck decided to play it out at usc instead for a little while anyway yeah it i, I guess it's missouri is an 81 percent favorite to win that one at home i think they should um tcu is also in a bit of a funk they've lost three in a row they got to go Assuming they're, they're out of COVID protocol, they get to go to Lawrence because that's what you want to see right now is an upset Kansas team at home. Uh, and then you got to come to Columbia after that. Uh, feels like they're kind of at a tipping point there. They'll be coming off a COVID break, having lost three in a row, and you get two top 20 teams. If, if Like I said earlier, if, you, if you're good and you are a team that's aspiring for a protected seat, that's a, that's a game you win and – you don't particularly sweat through it. So this Dude. week. Sorry, I'm just looking at some of the recent scores. Yeah, it's. That's it, ugly. It's, <laughs> yeah. Maybe they went on COVID pause to just sort of like quit playing for a while. Yeah, like, they, we, need they, to, got, we need to stop. This is bad. They, <laughs> they've been getting the crap kicked out of them for the two weeks before they went on pause, and then they get to come out of pause to a pissed off Kansas and a Missouri that's feeling pretty good right now. It's. Like I said, this this game holds little intrigue for me, and if and w- knowing my luck, I've jinxed this program, and they will lose to TCU on Saturday. But, um, yeah, there's just there's just no intrigue here for me at all in what they do to TCU. It's a game you have to get through healthy to ensure that you can stay on track and stay, you know, in the mix for prime SEC seating position. That's what we're in now. We're, we're getting close to February where uh, you just have to grind through the weeks and try and get results. Um. So, yeah, so TCU hasn't played since the 12th, um, it's almost two weeks ago. Uh, they're, that game they lost on the road to Oklahoma uh, by 36 points. Game before that, they got throttled at home by Baylor because that's what Baylor does to everybody uh they also got throttled at home by Kansas um and really like KU's a good basketball team um but they're not like what we're kind of used to seeing Kansas under Bill Self be um they've got some flaws I mean I think he's kind of struggled to land you know truly elite talent with some of the uh NCAA stuff hanging over the program um and so he's turned to more developmental prospects. And I think he's always kind of done well, but, but he just hasn't really had a guy who's 
you know taken off and i think uh i think that that's one of the reasons why they've kind of been held back um i don't i don't really need to spend a whole lot of time on kansas but um but yeah so i mean losing by 30 points to a good kansas team is not a great sign um i'm kind of surprised because uh, one of the things that Jamie Dixon has always sort of been known as is is a, a good defensive, you know, coach. I think a lot of his teams at Pitt were always really good defensively. That's sort of the thing that they did very early on in his tenure at TCU to sort of, uh, you know, buck the trend there a few years. But the, the defense has sort of fallen off too. Yeah, and they're young. They're really, really young. Um, you know, I think they only the only returning true starter is Nimbard. And then it's like five other underclassmen in the rotation. So, young team that's you know taking some lumps right now. You should win that game at home. Um, but it, get out of this week at two and zero. And then the schedule kind of, you know, still. I don't know if it, it softens because Kentucky has shown some fight, but you know next week is is really one that I think is going to be interesting because they get Kentucky coming in and we'll see if Kentucky can put together another good week and you know I'm looking who the Wildcats have um they've got Alabama this week they've got Alabama and Texas so if a good week maybe Kentucky comes in with a a renewed sense of a fight you know a new outlook a new lease on life and makes that a tough test for Missouri or you know, do they get flattened this week? You know, they got to go to Tuscaloosa, and you know, does Texas come in and sort of take the wind out of their sails? And they've got to come to Columbia, and then there's obviously, um, you know, next Saturday, uh, Alabama comes in, and if the Tide get through this week unscathed, that's going to be a a big, big matchup. So again, take care of business this week. Move on to some consequential matchups next week, and and see if you can really um, lock up some more lock up at least one or two more quad one wins. I think that's the opportunity for Missouri right now is if they, they've got five quad one wins as everyone knows. I think if you get to six or seven, you might as well just, there's close to a lock because I think you can be going into the final month of the, essentially the final month of the season. Um, and with the way the back end of the schedule sets up for them, then I think you're talking about, you know, I've been resident to talk about the stakes and, you know, is Missouri going to insert itself in the league race? If they have, a good two weeks here, I think that that really changes the tone and tenor of the conversation we're having. So, but they got to get through this week without stubbing their toe. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested. Uh, you know, obviously, you and I were both pretty high on Alabama um, coming into the year. Uh, I don't know. I, I did not envision them being as good as they've been. Um, I mean, hot shooting will help that. Um, but they, they do have an interesting couple, couple weeks coming up, um, where I think, so if, if Alabama gets out of the next two weeks without losing, like you're not catching Alabama for a league title. Um, so they have Kentucky at home. They should win that game on the road at Oklahoma, Oklahoma's, you know, they, they, they can score the ball. So that's, that, that could be a game that, uh, could sneak up on the tide. Uh, then they get LSU, who has proven that they're not interested in defending. I don't see Alabama losing that. And then Missouri. Um, so obviously we'll have some time to talk about the Missouri-Alabama matchup next week. Um, 
But yeah, if Missouri gets through this week by beating Auburn and beating TCU, um, I think that's really going to set up that next week as being a like a marquee week for the Tigers. Um, and again, like Alabama, <laughs> like I'm convinced that they are the best team in the SEC at this point. They are playing with so much confidence. Um, but all it takes is one kind of okay shooting night, not good shooting night. You know, and the way that they play, they shoot so many threes. Um, if you can figure out how to attack them offensively and, and score points, you can put real pressure on them. Um, I, this becomes kind of a fulcrum week because Kentucky... Kentucky's about ready to go into a stretch where they play the number 10, number 8, number 32, 18, and 39 teams in Kim Palm in its next five games. They actually got not a bad entry into SEC play. It was a pretty balanced early schedule. This was always going to be kind of the bumpier stretch for them. So a bad two weeks for Kentucky, you know, not that I don't think anyone's expecting Kentucky to, you know, win the league at this point, but you can really sort of take them out of the equation for a top four bid if they have a good, if they have a poor couple of weeks here. You know, Tennessee's in a position where they've got a, you know, they get Mississippi State tomorrow night. They got, they do get Kansas, but then they get Mississippi and Kentucky. You know, these next two weeks feels like where you're going to start to see Missouri and Tennessee try and close the gap a bit on Alabama and really try and make that final push. And maybe LSU comes along, you know, I'm not sure. LSU's at five and three, but they get Texas A&M and then they hit a, a rough stretch. So it feels like we're about, like you said, this could be a stretch where if Alabama keeps eating souls, they just put people in the rearview mirror, they're 10, 11 and 0, and you're not going to catch them. But this feels like one of those opportunities if you're in that chase pack to really sort of, you know, make this a cluster again or is it or is Alabama just gonna you know break out from the field right now so um again got to take care of business but we're starting to get to some consequential uh games as we come out of January yeah it should uh should set up well for a pretty exciting uh next few weeks um you and I will be back next week to review the Auburn uh game uh, as well as, I guess we didn't really talk much about the South Carolina game, um, other than a, a nice little mention um, that they pretty much did to Tennessee what they did to South Carolina, which uh, is a is a nice little thing. Um, if Missouri wants to continue these games where they just start out and get out to like a ten point lead within the first few minutes, like I am all about that. Yep, I would much rather try to keep a lead than to. Uh, you know, wrestle with another team or to, um, I guess, <laughs> I guess play from behind or something like that. Um, I like that. Come out hot. Let's just put a team away early. That yeah, makes for uh, less stressful viewing and easier study halls to write for you. So, uh, yeah. Of sword. Uh, you have anything else you want to get to before we get out of here? Oh, uh, no, I think we've covered it all. Um, and, Hopefully this week uh, is uh, pretty bland, or at least that's what I think Missouri fans are hoping for. That's pretty bland. 
So we will be back next week. Um, I honestly have no idea if uh, Before the Box Score is going to um, show up this week. Um, there is some stuff to talk about. I guess Missouri hired their defensive coordinator and a new defensive line coach. Um, I guess those are positive things. They're they're paying them a lot of money, Matt. I don't know if you noticed that. Um, $2.4 million over two years. I mean... Finally broke the one million dollar mark. About time we started acting like an SEC program, paying our coordinators north of a million cheapskates yeah. before that. Utter cheapskates. Um. So yeah, you'll have more uh, football-centric thoughts on on those things soon. Um. But yeah, we will be back next week. Send all your uh, your good vibes and energy. Uh, to Arturo to get him through kind of the next couple weeks we can get get this thing kicked um, and uh, and I can get my, my dog back man you know what I'm saying yeah yeah I got two of them alright everybody uh, so yes yeah, so we'll be back next week and until then thank you.